OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Bruce, uh, welcome and thank you very much for, for joining us today. I'm excited to, to share and learn more about uh, how you've been investing over the last few years. And maybe just to start it off, why don't uh, we jump into, maybe you can give us a quick little brief background on yourself, and then we'll jump into a, a few questions. Great. Thanks so much. So for the last four years, I've been an active investor, an active angel investor, early stage uh, investor, and I also invest in the markets. Um, I've always had a, an entrepreneurial uh, uh, drive, um, but that said, I had 37 years background in the corporate world. I was a corporate dude for 37 years. But inside my corporate life, um, I managed uh, like $3.5 billion of capital inside the company, and I invested in projects in the company. So I was in Bell Canada. So telecommunications. So we have to build out some infrastructure. We're going to lay out some fiber optics. We're going to roll out a new product or a new service or a new offering. We've got to build a call center. I looked at freaking thousands and thousands of business cases over my life, right? But they were all internal, internal. Like, how is this going to, how is, what kind of a return are we going to get on this investment? What's the NPV look like? What's the, um, you know, how many head, what head count is it going to reduce? What kind of productivity is it going to drive? What kind of customer are, customers are we going to attract? So I always did that inside with, um, inside a company using the company's money, which was a little bit easier. Uh, and um, on the side, I invested in the public markets, you know, and, and um, it was, it was toward the end, I, like I was getting ready to leave, I wanted to do something different, I wanted to be free, and I wanted to kind of get it because my wife works in the entrepreneurial world, all of her clients are successful business owners, and that attracts me a lot more than the corporate world. So I left and uh, um, I had already established a little bit of a bridge with angels and had started already investing in some startups. So it was a real easy, easy transition for me. And uh, it's one that I feel very uh, grateful for uh, uh, having had the opportunity. Uh, and um, I like being freer and I like, uh, I like the startup world and the energy and, and, and the opportunity there. So that's a little background. No, that's great. And I, and I, when I was, reading up on you and, and I've learned a, a lot about you over the, the last few years through Spark Angels and I was reading up and there was a lot of great compliments to yourself about exactly all those things that you just stated uh, around how you uh, were able to build uh, very energetic teams to build out products and, and help support uh, Bell Canada's initiative. So that's awesome. So the, the first kind of uh, question is, you know, what, what you talked a little bit about it, but what got you invested in startups? What's made you look at instead of helping maybe just purely from a help standpoint, as you moved out of Bell, what got you in investing into early stage companies? Yeah, so um, I always, I've always been an investor. And, um, you know, the public markets are interesting, but you're a million miles away from it. And, and, uh, and, and it's, it's more exciting, I, I find, when you invest in, a, in an early stage startup company, there's a lot, it's a lot more personal. You're closer to it. You know, you can look at the eye into the eyes of the CEO or the founder. You can get, a, get an idea. You can kind of read their energy. You get a 
a sense of um, what it is they're trying to do and where they want to go. And um, so there's much more direct relationship in terms of being able to help them. And there's also, you know, if you're fortunate and everybody wins, there's an opportunity for some fantastic uh, wins and returns. And so um, I like, I think entrepreneurs are the engine of the economy. You hear everybody say that, right? That's what we need. We need small business. We need entrepreneurs to keep things going. Um, anything I can do to help them realize their dream for me. It's just kind of like when I managed my teams in the past, like I wanted to see them win. I didn't care about, I just want to see them win anything and everything I can do to see, uh, get a smile on their face and get that and for them to get a win. It makes me feel good. And I get that same buzz, uh, really from um, the startups and the founders uh, that I meet. So connect, collaborate, create. Those are the three things I like to do. And if I can do that in a way that helps people move their dream ahead, then I'm all in. No, that's awesome. When you, and uh, I totally uh, commit to that same philosophy. When you, when you have 97, 98% of, of the world made up of early stage startups, uh, you know, they're supporting so much of the economy that we got to do a lot to kind of help support that. And it's people that work their way through the system that start to learn and say, how can I really give back and how can I get in there and support it? And uh, your household obviously accommodates that, which is, which is amazing. So when you're uh, kind of going through this and you're, you're figuring out you want to start to work and invest in startups, what was the trigger point that got you invested in this? Was it uh, you met someone that was already investing in the startup world? Uh, was it uh, you got approached by someone like what was the the trigger outside? I guess your wife obviously played a big part in this in, in her role But was there a trigger that said, you know what? I got to get into this full-on is this is really going to be impactful. Yeah, so it kind of happened by accident um, um, You know sometimes it's think what you're looking for sometimes shows up and it just happened to be a, a brunch I was out for, uh, Shannon and I were out for brunch with uh, Gary Einanum and his wife and, uh, and uh, his wife was an uh, old family friend. Uh, her, I, we, I grew up with her and, and, and uh, we were at, and, and I just saw so I hadn't met, I hadn't seen them for a long time. So I was just asking Gary, what is it, what do you, so what do you do? And he said, and he mentioned that, well, you know, I'm part of this angel group and he was telling me a little bit about it. And, uh, and I was, in, I, I was in, inspired by it. And so he invited me uh, out to a meeting. So I went out to uh, Ajax uh, right, uh, which is like in the middle of nowhere for me, uh, but I went out there and, <laughs> and I w went to the Spark Angel meeting and I, and, and I met some cool guys and I thought, this is freaking, gr this is great, this is awesome, I want to be a part of this. So um, I've rarely missed a meeting since then, right, I signed up right away and uh, I became part of the group. Uh, uh, um, I love the guys that are in that group. Uh, you can see everybody is there for the right reason. They all want to help. They all want to contribute. They all want to help. They, they have uh, such a diverse uh, set of backgrounds and skills. So everybody brings something to the conversation. And I, um, so, so yeah, so I got to thank Gary for it. And, you know, Gary's made, uh, helped help me make a lot of money. Well, Gary's a good man. I'm a big fan of Gary too. So uh, that's a, uh, that's a great way to, to get brought into the field and, I found that in interviewing a lot of um, early stage investors, a lot of them have a very similar story that they kind of just fell into it. You know, life was changing. They were going there and all of a sudden, boom, this is in front of them. They jumped right into it and they went full into it. That's amazing. So uh, a great way to start. So what's your, what kind of comes back to is what's your favorite part of investing? 
there, there's obviously the money, there's all these things that kind of go around, but what's the piece that really interests you the most? My favorite part is um, I love the story. My favorite part of investing, I love the stories. I love, I love I, I trying to understand why somebody thinks this is a good idea. Like, what is it that you're doing? What are you trying to achieve? What's the problem you're trying to solve? Um, like, why, and, and I like to just sort of like trying to get inside their head, the, the, the founder's head, and understand what it is that's driving them and why do they think this is going to be successful and make a difference. And, and, and uh, you know, sometimes I don't get it, right? And, and, and sometimes it's like, man, this guy's onto something and, and I want to help anything I can do, anything and everything I can do to help this guy succeed and reach his goal, I'm all in. So I have to really get that kind of connection for me to, uh, to engage. Um, but I love, I love the stories. Um, they always have, over time, they always have twists and turns and ups and downs. It's never a straight line. Uh, it's not like you give them, you know, a couple hundred K, they go and, and build some software and then they've got customers and everybody's happy. There's always twi twists and turns and ebbs and flows. Um, and, you know, every now and again, they got to reset, they have to pivot. Uh, so I love um, seeing the entrepreneurs uh, and, and ride that journey with them. And of course, my, the favorite part, I guess, is the reason the angels are why we're there in the first place, really, is that uh, I love an exit, right? An exit is a beautiful thing. And, um, you know, I've been fortunate to uh, experience a few. And they, more often than not, are surprises when you're least expecting it. Something happens out of the blue. And, um, but it's, it's, you know, it's cool. Yeah, that, that always is uh, an exciting part. It's like a little early uh, birthday gift or something, if you will. But um, I do like, I do like the fact that you, you created around the story and the story is what creates the drive. And when you, when you have that and you can really understand where they're coming from and jump inside of that story and work with them, I, I think that always creates a great potential outcome especially when you get a lot of people with different insights into how that story can shift. Uh, and like you said, at Spark, you've got a lot of different ideas and people that come from different domains and having them jump into that same idea and that same story can really help it bolster it and make it a lot bigger and successful. Can I tell you about one that was uh, probably one of my very first meetings, JP? Yep. Um, and um, so I'm looking around the table and there's, uh, you know, probably about 30 uh, middle-aged dudes like myself and this young guy comes in to pitch and I'm so I'm flipping through the material uh, uh, and it was, uh, it was about uh, gaming right so it was Manashi. <laughs> Manashi. Yep. So I'm looking I'm reading flipping through this and this guy's like uh, video gaming and I'm looking at the table and I said holy smokes this guy's in the wrong room right it's all a bunch of middle-aged geezers here I bet you nobody in this room as myself included has ever played a video game and he started talking about his dream, his vision, his company, and what he and and his passion, and what he loves, and what he wants to do, and what he sees as a, as an opportunity, and where he sees the future of video gaming going. And then he starts talking about numbers. I started making notes. He starts talking about numbers, like the number of people that play uh, online video games and all the stuff. And and it started to become flabbergasting. And it was still, I think, to this day, it's the only time. Um, at the end of his pitch, when uh, uh, Malcolm asked, is anybody in the room interested in learning more? Every single person put their hand up. First of all, he was, uh, first of all, you knew, you could see this is a guy who knows what he's talking about. 
He's absolutely passionate about what he's doing. The, the size of the market and opportunity is mind blowing. Even though before that morning, but before that day, I had no, I didn't know anything about it. And all of a sudden it's like, this thing is staggering. I can't, I, I, I couldn't stop myself from learning more and more and more about the industry and what was happening. And, uh, so that was one of my very first investments, which ended up being a bit of a treat. Yep, they went IPO or yeah. eventually went but RTO, yep. RTO merger, IPO, and uh, yeah, onward and upward. So, uh, so that's one that it, it's just a great story. So it pulls you in, it compels you, and you start to follow it, and you learn a lot about it, and then you find ways of contributing and helping. Sometimes, sometimes you're just a passive observer and you cheer them on. You know, there's different roles for angels, depending on uh, the business and the opportunity in your background. Agreed. And that's a great story. Um, for, uh, for Enthusiast Gaming, I came in a bit later, but, but the same thing. Big fan, jumped right in and uh, very exciting. But I wish I was there for that first story because I think that that would have been very compelling to watch and, and to see. But uh, that was great for sharing that. Thank you. So now you've kind of gone through this cycle, you're seeing pitches, you're learning more about why you're inside of this or getting through it. Uh, is there a set number or a schedule or how you look at how many companies do you want to invest in a year? Do you, you have that tallied out? And from all the interviews, everybody kind of has this real strategic way of how they were looking at the year and say, okay, I'm going to do five or I'm going to do it this way. Is there, do you have a philosophy or anything that you stick to when you're investing in companies? Yeah. So um, I try not to jump on every shiny object because I've got this nature that would be easy for me to do that. I have to uh, like, you know, uh, so um, I've over time developed a filter that I use to determine which, which companies I want to invest in and which ones I'm not interested in investing in. Um, I probably jump on uh, like three to four new companies every year. And I know, that you will ask later on about, uh, you know, follow-ons and things like that. Because what happens is once you start building up a portfolio, a couple of things happen. The companies that you've already invested in, you know, have come up with a second round or a third round or something. And, uh, you know, I'll talk more about that later. Uh, but, um, yeah, so I try to like three, maybe four new companies a year. But I, you get to a couple of things happen. One is you start to get too many, so you can't pay attention to them. And I think it's important to stay on top of, you know, you, you can't, they can't be 100% passive. You've got to pay attention and follow, you know, follow up and see how they're doing. So I probably have about 12 or 14 right now. Um, some have already exited and moved on and some new ones have come in. I've got about 12 or 14 companies. Um, and, um, so two things happen. One is you don't want to get too many. You don't want to jump on every shiny object. You need to be selective. Um, and, uh, eventually also these are, these are, um, illiquid investments. So you only have so much money. You have to decide how much money you want to throw into this asset class, right? Like how much of all my, you know, my cash, how much of it do I want to have, you know, that's illiquid. There's no market for it. You got to wait. You have to be patient. You got to wait for something to happen that may or may not happen somewhere down the road. Um, and uh, yeah, so that, and, and then I also I spread it around to different types of investments, right? So like I've got 
Uh, some of them are angel investments, things that I saw at the Spark Angel or York Angel or GTAN and you know, all those different groups that have brought, brought opportunities forward to us. Um, I had through the network there, I've met a lot of people and I've joined other groups and I've participated in larger, more venture capital sort of stage stuff. So like with the Bright Spark group, yep. I've done a couple of deals with uh, Mark and the guys at Bright Sparks, um, you know, through people that I've met, I got connected into this group that uh, we get to get in, in early on, uh, on unicorns. Investex is a big firm out in Vancouver and they get pieces, uh, they get to buy insider shares of, uh, of large companies like uh, the best one that I got there was Spotify Music. So first of all, I love the, I love the company. I love the product. I had an opportunity to invest in it before they went public and I did it. And, uh, you know, so, but the, it, the, the, it's a later stage. You get in at a later stage. So when they go public, then you get, I got like two and a half times a return instead of some of these smaller companies and they go public and you get 10 or 12 times return. Uh, so it, it's, there's all kinds of different things. When you get in at a later stage, there's less risk, but there's less return. You get in at the front end, there could be massive, massive return. There's a lot of risk because there's a fantastic amount of unknown and uncertainty. Um, so, um, but you're diversifying well, right? So I, you're, I think what you, what you've kind of laid out there is that this is an asset class and you can't just dive everything into it. You've got to be sparing to figure out what goes in here. Where can I get some mid mid tier stocks? Uh, can I buy into another company that might be, as you mentioned, unicorn, uh, there might be some other things that you might get into that are outside of the whole, uh, stock markets and early stage companies, but you really do have to diversify. And, and I think that balances out your portfolio. And uh, being able to manage that, I guess that number and that amount of dollars will then lead into the fact that you're able to make sure that you can reinvest. So is there a percentage of reinvestments that you look at doing as well? Yeah. So every time, so, you know, you get new money comes in, sometimes you get an exit, you get money from that, and then you got a stash, right? That you get to redeploy back into the space. And it starts, uh, you start to get a nice little cycle going. And, and it takes a while, obviously, for that to, to build up and for it to happen. But uh, um, I know I remember talking to a guy early on and he said that uh, the problem is why some of these angel groups need to keep on recruiting new angels is because existing angels run out of money, right? You know, you've invested in 10 companies, nothing's happened, you haven't had an exit. And then you start worrying, like, am I doing the right thing? Or do I just need to be more patient, right? And then, but then as soon as you get one, and one pops and some money is freed up, then you're, you know, you've got the, 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 the cash and the stash ready to go and look for your next opportunity. And that's great that you're looking at the future of that because a lot of the times I see with investors is that uh, they're kind of a one time onto the next, one time onto the next, and they kind of forget that it also looks good when you reinvest in a company. Uh, it also gets de-risks it for the rest of the investors that are coming in at that next level. So if you came in at early stage and now it's at a pre-seed and now it's at a seed, if you decide not to go back in, there's other investors looking at that and they're asking, hey, are the other investors coming back in? Well, why are they not coming in? And it, it actually does help de-risk a lot of it when they see that that investor has gone through at least one or two stages. It makes a big difference in helping that company secure that next round. And really, at the end of the day, that helps your companies from failing. So yeah. because a lot of the times they're not uh, at the stage where they can get through without that extra liquidity. Something that you mentioned there, JP, I think is really important is that uh, um, there's a, 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 
a, a fair bit of collaboration between the angels, especially the group of guys, the good group of guys that, uh, you know, I was fortunate to, uh, uh, to meet up with at Spark. So there will be often a company that uh, maybe four or five of us all uh, went in on in the early stage, and then they're coming up with a second raise. Uh, uh, and so we have conversations. What do you think? Are you going in? Are you, what are you guys, what are you doing? And, and so we talk about it. Why do you think this is a good time now? And when companies are going, when companies are, you know, there's, there, there's uh, different reasons that companies have a second round, right? There's good reasons and bad reasons. Sometimes they need to, they're, they're running out of cash, you know, and, and uh, they just need more money for sort of a, to, to, to complete what they started. Sometimes it's a beautiful thing because they need money because they need to be keep, because they need to, they've already developed their product or service or software or whatever they develed. And now they need money to meet because they, they, because they need to meet customer demand. And when you see something like that, when that kicks in, I'll give them as much money as I can because when they're, because you're actually now, you're not funding the development of the company. You're actually funding the growth of the, of, of the company. And uh, you start getting closer and closer to a reward. Um, and, you know, each time you go in, the valuation of the company has changed. So, you know, the, 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 the return you're going to get on those later stage investments is a little bit less. But I would say the risk is also considerably less. So it balances out nicely. And it, for sure. And you're also getting, like you mentioned, the group thing. You're actually bringing a lot of these investors together to help prop it up. And the more... Uh, more investors you can bring into an, uh, to an opportunity, uh, the more interest they're going to have at the next opportunity, the next opportunity. And it really does benefit that, er that early stage company to know that they've got four or five or 10 people that are really interested in what they're doing to support them. Exactly. So in uh, you've kind of structured your investments where you're going to go on the, the DD side, going into the deep dive, are there certain criteria that you look for that you really like to make sure that you have in order to make this investment? And I look at this from, there's two sides to it. There is more on the paperwork side. And then there's of course on the team or other areas that you might think outside of uh, your standard DD materials that you look for. So, well, I guess the DD, is the most important thing, right? Because, you know, that's where the commitment, that's where the rubber hits the road, right? It's you're either, you're either you're in or you're up. But once you're in, you can't be half in, you're all in, right? They got your check. <laughs> they cash your check. Yep. So, so um, the DD is like, obviously it starts with the founder, starts with the entrepreneur. And uh, I have to like the person, right? I have to believe in, I have to, I have to believe in. I have to believe in the individual. It's nice to hear a little background in terms of what they've come from and what they've done in the past, but I have to. I have to believe that they've got what it takes to make to to, to turn their idea into uh, into a success story, and um, so you, you look for like you know they really know what they're talking about. They're they're knowledgeable in the space. They've got passion. They've got drive. They've got tenacity. Um, they uh, 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 um, they are. You have to find uh, an entrepreneur who's strong and clear in terms of what they're trying to do, but also uh, somebody who you believe is going to be coachable, who's prepared to learn along the way and pivot and make accommodations and adjustments if they're required. You need people 
I, um, um, absent ego. If if I if this if the if the CEO looks like they've got some kind of an ego and they think that they know everything and they got it all figured out and just give them the money and it's a guarantee, like I, I'll run as fast as I can. A zero ego, uh, uh, somebody who's prepared to build a team with people, surround themselves with people that are stronger and smarter than they are. That's how you build great teams, right? And and and, um, and give somebody who's going to give the other other people, the team members, the credit. So. Um, I have to believe in the CEO, 100%. And then the idea has to be scalable. I have to believe that this thing can catch on like a wildfire one day, um, like a good old Australian wildfire. <laughs> and, and I see so many pitches that um, a lot of them are good ideas. Like Usually they don't make it that far with a bad idea that they kind of end up in front of the room and they're telling you about their idea. But a lot of them I find are, maybe they're too niche um, A niche isn't necessarily a bad thing because there's some large niches, but some of them are maybe a little bit too niche um, Some of them I think are good, biz could be a good business, but not a good investment. Like I don't want to invest in something that's going to provide a guy a good, a good job and income for the rest of his life. You know what I mean? Create a nice little business, and you know you're going to make uh, you know a couple million bucks. He's going to make a couple million bucks a year, and and it'll roll on. But if the thing has to. You have to look like how is it? Is this company? Is this is this idea? Is it saleable? Like most of these, I would say the majority of the exits that we're going to see from these companies is that somebody buys them out. I don't think very many of these early stage startups actually make it to the IPO stage. Um, um, if they do, it's super cool. Um, but uh, you have to invest in a company that I, I have looking at a company that I think can, once it's got, once it's established, it can scale fast and, and uh, it has to scale and, and, and that's really what I look for. I have to believe in the CEO. I have to believe in the idea. I have to believe that it's going to scale. I have to believe that there's going to be an exit. No, those are, those are four great uh, pieces. And, and I agree 100% that when you start to look at uh, the idea, it shapes around the CEO. Can they see a vision of growing this really big and scaling quickly? Do they have the right people? Can they get the right people? And are they too niche and it's not going to allow them to move? So those are uh, great, great things to look at when you're, uh, when you're going through DD and, and diving in. And sometimes uh, when, you're, uh, when you're in the DD, you're again, you're in with these larger groups. And there's a lot of ideas, a lot of comments, a lot of questions bouncing around. And it's interesting, as you mentioned, by putting ego aside, how fast you can find how they can adapt to all the questions and how they're... Uh, maneuvering in and out of all the data that's required for them to move forward. So it really does give you a good idea on the tenacity, the the passion, the drive, and how hard they're going to want to build the company because, uh, you know, they don't want to give up because they hit a little bit of a hurdle. So I think uh, some of those things come out during DD and along the way. So it's uh, some great four things to look for 100%. I love that. Uh, inside the investment uh, portal now you've kind of gone through this journey do you look at leading rounds or do you tend to uh, work with the groups that you mentioned and kind of all lead together how do you look at that uh, scenario yeah so looking at leading rounds um, JP I really know myself well 
And um, I hate administration. It's not my thing, right? It never has been. Um, and uh, I always, I know, I'm, I, I know my strengths and I know my, uh, 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 my weaknesses. And, uh, and, and when it comes to um, leading around, um, leading around is administration. You know, you have to be committed to doing it. You have to, it's chasing people down, you know, making sure that they read all of the documents, that you get the doc, you send out the DocuSign packages and the, getting everybody's NDAs back and, and, and uh, getting the checks in and, you know, reminding and nudging and following up. So it requires a lot. It requires a lot. Like if you have, if you say that you're going to lead the round, then the entrepreneur, the business or the entrepreneurs put a, put a lot of faith in you and you gotta, you have to deliver. And, and, and uh, it's just not my thing. I'm not good at that kind of stuff. And, and uh, I'm an idea guy um, um, and, and I'm not, an, and I'm not uh, a paperwork guy, an administer, administrative guy. Um, so I would say, uh, so in terms of leading around, I've never done it. I've helped a little bit, right? Chase people, I've helped a little bit. Yep. Um, uh, but I also, I would say, cause when I was reading your question, um, I said, never say never. I've learned that. That's a lesson that I've had to learn over and over and over again with myself, right? Um, and uh, uh, but I say never say never because there could be a time when I see a company that I just feel so strongly about that I would do anything to help them get, get off the ground. And so I would even maybe break my own rule there. But it hasn't happened yet. Well, I'm sure there's a company out there that's going to hear this and they're going to come after you and find out how they can get you to lead. So I'm yeah. sure it'd be a fantastic job at uh, rounding people up, especially like you said, you haven't done it. So that puts a real big flavor to someone wanting to get you in there because you know you'll do a, a great job. Uh, is there any preferred terms that you look for in an in investment? So um, I don't. So obviously you want you want a good favorable terms. It, need to, it needs to be a balance between, uh, it needs to be a balance between, um, uh, it has to work for the entrepreneur and it has to work for the investor. And um, so I have invested and I don't, I don't have, uh, I don't know if I have a real preference. I just want, I just want to make sure that it's uh, fair and reasonable. Like, so I have, I have some companies I have preferred shares, right? Some companies I have um, convertible debt. Um, some cases I've provided companies with loans, right? With favorable, uh, like uh, with very nice uh, 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 interest uh, 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 payments that are generating a nice return. So, um, and then another time, other times I've, 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 joined into limited partnerships, you know, with some of the larger VCs that build out these things like BrightSparks would be an example. All the investments I've made in BrightSpark would be through a limited partnership. So limited partnerships, uh, uh, preferred shares, um, convertible debt, convertible notes, um, and loans. So I do with them all, right? And they're all different and they all, they all, have, they all have their uh, pluses and minuses, but depends on the situation. They sometimes different situations call for different, I guess, structures. But it seems that you're pretty flexible. So there's not a, 
Uh, you're not interested if it's a safe or as long as you like the company, you're going to work within their terms and figure out what's the best value for yourself and your investment. 100%. That's great. I, the other side of this goes to board seats. Uh, as you're making these investments, have you taken a board seat? Do you choose to take board seats uh, depending on your investment size or the amount? Is that something that's, uh, that you look for as well? Yeah, so that's something that I'm extremely interested in. That's an area where I feel I can contribute and create value. And um, I have, right, so right now I'm on the advisory board of two companies. And, um, you know, I just, I like listening. I like, I like getting an understanding in terms of where they are and what, what roadblocks uh, are in front of them and looking for ways and help them think different and, and, and to think different and to crack the code and what to watch out for. Um, I, I love, like my business card says, connect, collaborate, and create. I love connecting with the business owners. I like collaborating with them, and I, help them like, I love helping them create new opportunities. And, and uh, I think my background, especially from my corporate life, when I was looking at you know, thousands of business cases inside the company, um, I think that positions me well to be able to uh, really add value and contribute and make a difference in, a, in an advisory board type position. So I've, I'm doing that. I like to do more of that. Um, there's a guy that I follow, Keith Cunningham. I love that guy. You got And he's like tough love. And he talks about uh, the, the role of the board is really to watch for dangers, right? And ask the difficult questions and watch for watch for dangers and, 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 uh, anticipate what could blow up and, and make sure that you've got contingency in place so that you can manage unforeseen, cha unforeseen uh, uh, challenges. The other thing that I've learned in my, in, my, in my past life that I think I could bring to a board position is uh, I've, I've, under, I've, I've understood the, uh, the importance of focus. Focus, focus, focus. You've got to have a target you got to have a clear defined plan to hit, achieve that target. You have to have KPIs that you're going to measure and track uh, to make sure that you're getting there. If you don't know where you are and you don't know where you're going, you know, I'm not clear in terms of how you're going to get there. Like you see companies sometimes that are in those positions. So you have to be crystal clear. You have to be honest about where you have to be honest about where you are and you have to be clear about where you're going and you need to have, a, a, a defined path and a team and the resources that are going to help you get there. And those are all the things that I can conversations that I can have with companies that I think benefit them and, um, and the discipline uh, that I think is required for a company to be successful. And I think that's the role of the board. Well, you touched on a lot of points there and you're, you really steered it to all of these other elements that you help see and envision while you're on that board seat. And I think that uh, is really conducive to, as you mentioned, your background by being able to work with a lot of different companies and a lot of different um, uh, plans or projects that allow you to kind of see, is this going to have a good result? Is there a KPI that's going to make sure that this makes money uh, so that you can bring that back to that startup? And I really, uh, I love the three things that connect, collaborate and create. I think those are really uh, great terms that help a focus get into a, an entrepreneur's mind. And when you're starting to work with them, deciding 
how, you know, right now this is where we're at, but we got to get somewhere and we all have to work towards something. And I think a lot of the time startups don't always think that they've got to be somewhere. They're just hustling and bustling around and they don't think that if I set a target or I don't set somewhere to go, I'm just going to get there. And those little targets turn into big targets and they become very much um, accomplished when the team can get behind them and they can all believe in the direction that they're going. So being able to bring that to a board seat, but also looking for that in the uh, CEO is, is really an amazing feat to have. Um, and I love the crack the code. I think that's key to any startup is helping them understand how they can crack that code. Mm-hmm. Right? Is there, so you've talked about a lot of different things that you kind of help bring to the startup. Is there any communications that you like or ways that you want the companies to be able to help you stay in tune? So that outside of a board seat, is there other things that you're looking for uh, to make sure that you can help when it's needed or before it's even needed? Yeah. So, um, so what do I see in, in the way companies communicate? So I'll tell you, uh, JP, that was my number one uh, early dissatisfaction as an, as an angel investor. Number one, uh, 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 I almost decided not to continue as an angel because I thought this is like goofy. Like you're writing checks, you're giving all these people money, you know, that I earned and then they go dark and you have no clue what's happening. I would say the majority of the startup companies are, 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 are lousy communicators. And, um, it's, you know, I think it's an easy, I've had, I've had conversations with all my angel buddies and with Malcolm and the people at Spark Angels. And, and, and I said, you know, we have, there's, there's gotta, there should be an expectation that there's going to, that, that, that there's going to be some communication that comes back to you. So, um, it doesn't have to be onerous. It needs to be like, it's just a simple, like a KPI, the same kind of like KPIs that they report report on every quarter. Once a quarter would be fine. It could be a nice little one pager and said, and said, you know, and it can be a nice standard thing. I've even drawn one out. Like, you know, what are you, what are you, what are you, what are you aiming to achieve in the next 90 days? You know, what are the challenges that you see uh, in front of you for the next 90 days? What are the resources or uh, what help do you need to achieve those goals? Right. And, and then if you just had a nice simple thing that was repeatable and it was every 90 days and you sat down, I think, don't think it's too much to ask uh, uh, the founder to sit down for a half an hour, uh, a quarter and just uh, update their 90 day vision. So what did I achieve over the nine, last 90 days? Um, um, uh, what, 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 what went well? What didn't go well? What, what am I set out to achieve for the next 90 days? And then in terms of the communications, and, and partnership, really, that I believe is important between uh, the entrepreneurs and their investors is that I don't think that the companies ask for help as often as they should or they could. They're, I don't even know if they realize the resource that's behind them in that room. And it doesn't even have to be investors. So let me give you an example that um, if we have 30 angels at York, or, or at, at uh, the Spark Angel Group. We've got 30 angels that are there and six of us invested in a, in a company. The other 24 guys would be more than half. People love helping people. And the other 24 guys, even if they didn't invest in that round, in that last round or something like that, if somebody needs somebody who knows something about logistics, 
or if somebody needs somebody who knows something about getting some, a, a, a part manufactured in China, or if somebody needs to know how do you get your product on a shelf at a hardware store, like people, if somebody needs somebody who knows how to, how to um, get, uh, maybe it's a legal thing, right? Like how do I protect myself? How, would I, how do I get some protection? On my on my on my on my idea, um, the, everybody wants to help. You know, they're dying to help. They love help, and it feels good to help. And and, and uh, the business so, so communications. They should they should have a ninety day plan. They should have a ninety day KPIs. They should tell us what happened in the last ninety days. They should tell us what's happening in the next ninety days. You know, how full is the funnel? Blah blah blah. And they should say, I need help. I, this is, these are the three places uh, uh, that I, this is what I want to do for the next 90 days. These are the three areas I could use some help. Be more than happy to have a conversation with anybody who thinks that they could pitch in. Uh, that's a long-winded answer to your question. It's crystal clear to me. You can see from my voice that I find I'm massively frustrated because um, there's a huge, you don't have to go out alone. There's so much support and it's free. Yeah, it's uh, it, it is uh, it's a very tough space when it comes to communication, and I think if you look back at when it all where it all starts with the the company going and looking for funding, this is all new to them, and then this part of communicating back to share what's going on in the business, I think that that also becomes quite new to them. So nobody wants to share fails or things that are upsetting or things that don't work well. So I think it kind of goes back to um, what you were talking about before was the type of entrepreneur that you get to invest in or the one that you're working with. I think that rapport plays a big part in helping them better understand that here's how we need to be able to communicate. Because if you do, we're going to catch a lot of this stuff beforehand. And as you mentioned, you're on a couple boards, but you can't be on every investment boards. Um, so you're able to only help the ones that you're really um, deep in and, and helping. But then there's all the other ones that don't get that same intrinsic value because you're not in the inside loop, if you will. So how do you get them to still look at it the same way and say, how do I get my problems out so that people can help answer? How do I use the room of all these people uh, more frequently? Right. I think that that's just a mind shift. It really is a tough one. And you're right. It's not the first time angels have said, you know what? No one wants to tell me what's going on. And then I find out at the very end. And that's terrible because then I couldn't help them. Uh, yeah, I could have helped them. I took, there was a, when I was younger, I was taking flying lessons and my instructor told me one thing that stuck with me and I can apply it all over the, my life. And he is, so he said, what do you call, uh, uh, so we're sitting on the runway, Toronto Island, at, over at Toronto Island Airport, we're sitting on the runway and he said, what do you call uh, the runway behind you? I, I, I didn't know what he's talking about. He said, you call it useless, right? And whether it's a takeoff or a landing, it's useless. You can't make use of it, right? Yep. And that's, so that's the same thing with what we're talking about here. It, it's, uh, what can you do? You find out three months later that the, guy, that the guy was struggling with something that you could have helped with, right? I, I, when people ask, and, I, and, and this was my only thing with my team members when I, when I was a leader, I, I told my team members, the only time I'm ever going to get mad at you is if you don't ask for help early enough. And asking for help is a strength. It's not a weakness. Asking for help is a strength. And we need the entrepreneurs to ask for help more, more than they do today. And they have to ask for help earlier than they do today. No, that's great. And you're right. Asking for help 
is a strength. I love that. I'm going to use that line. I think that that uh, um, hits it home right there in the, the whole discussion from there. Um, in the, uh, uh, I think just because we're kind of getting close to wrapping things up, so I'm going to ask uh, two kind of final questions for you. Uh, or maybe three, because I really want to know, has there been, um, based on the COVID side of things, have you seen as you, have you shifted your investments? Or are you continuing to, to move forward just as is? Nothing's really slowing you down. You're looking for great deals or how has that shifted in the last uh, three months? It's really, it's, I think for all investors and myself included, it's changed things a lot. I think the brakes have gone on. And, uh, you know, it's, I have personal experience right now. I'm trying to help a company raise a couple million bucks, you know, and we were within like a couple hundred thousand dollars of our goal. And it's brutal. It's impossible. We can't get it. And no one is willing to, you know, people that I know that would be able to write that check in two seconds before with just a simple conversation, uh-uh, everybody's sitting on their wallet. No, I'm just going to wait it out. I'm not quite sure right now. I'm just going to, you know, take a bit of a pause. I see. So it feels like the environment has changed. It's not, it's not an easy environment to raise funds in right now. Um, me personally, I'm probably more inclined to help the companies that I'm already invested in uh, uh, over the next hump versus jumping into something completely brand new and un, un, unknown to me. So I think it's, um, yeah, the environment has changed and I think it's difficult. It's a difficult environment to raise money. Obviously if something just showed up in front of me and I thought it was, uh, you know, it met all my criteria yep. and uh, that really I, 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 I felt engaged and inspired by it, I would, I would do it. I would never say never. Right. But uh, I would say that the environment is tough right now for raising funds. No, and duly noted, it, it is. It's, uh, it really has shifted a lot and it's uh, still looking for opportunities and, and great opportunities. And then from there deciding uh, if it's, uh, it's going to be a good one or you're going to have to wait it out a little while. And, and things have shifted a lot. You can see it everywhere. So, um, but that's, uh, that's good to know. So the last two questions I have, and this one's always... Uh, an interesting one in all of the time that you've been working with startups and you've been investing in startups and everything that you've kind of learned in the last uh, 40 years of, of working in big business. Is there one or two things that you see from the exits you've had and the companies you're working with that really stand out as being exceptional pieces that other entrepreneurs can say, you know what, I really need to have this skill or I really need to have this. That's going to make my, my business successful. Is there something that you can pin pinpoint on that really changes things around? Like you've named a lot of things from tenacity and agility and being able to, uh, to maneuver and being passionate. So those are some skills, but is there something that really stands out around uh, a success to be successful as an entrepreneur? Well, you know, again, right away, you have to have a great idea. You have to be solving a real problem. Um, and uh, like, it's not, if you're going to go into a space, um, you're not going to go in there with an idea that's going to be two times better than what anybody else has got out there. You want to go in there with something that's going to be 10 times better than what somebody's got out there. 
It has to be materially different and better. You have to create space. You have to create space between you and the, and, and the competition. And the way you do that is two, two ways you do that. One is that you, you have an idea that's 10 times, 10 times better, 10 times faster, 10 times simpler, 10 times more meaningful, 10 times whatever. And, and, and then you, you know, you differentiate yourself in such a way that you got a massive moat around you where it's not an, not an easy thing for somebody to copy or follow. That's even more powerful than having uh, IP protection. Like who cares about all the legal blah, blah, blah. Win in the one, my one friend told me, I win in the marketplace, not in the courts, right? You win in the marketplace by having a product or a service uh, that's uh, t- 10 times better than anybody else's. Catch me if you can, right? So they have to have that. And they have to have, they have to build great teams. They have to build great teams and, and, and uh, um, you know, hire the best. And they have to be focused and all those things that I talked about, right? You got to be focused. You got to track like small wins. You got to sm- uh, uh, celebrate, establish, track and celebrate small wins. It's a series of small wins that gets you to the finish line. And um, yeah, so some of the exits that I've seen, you know, and, 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 it, and it obviously, back to my other favorite, it's got to be massively scalable, right? So like I, I invested in this company. I saw right away the guy had a cool thing. I knew exactly what he was trying to do. It didn't exist. Nobody was doing it. It was cloud computing in the cloud computing space. Uh, uh, the company was called HTBase. And uh, he got bought out by Juniper Networks. Boom. Within a year and a half of investing in this company because the guy had the secret sauce. He thought of something. He saw an opportunity that nobody else had, see, had, had, had noticed. And he was first to market. He was first there with a solution that worked. And, and uh, it was brilliant. You know, we talked about EEG, how those guys sort of like snuck up on a growing, uh, on a growing theme and are, are making the most of it. I don't know if I answered your question, but. Yeah, no, you totally did. And, and you, you worked in a few different spots to it. But uh, you're right that it really does come down to that drive driver of the CEO, the scalability, uh, the idea of being able to find something that unique and sets them aside, creates a moat around them. So hundred percent, those are all great, great pieces. Another to can I, if I can add on just to set for a second, JP, that yeah, uh, yeah. one conversation that I've had with a couple of the founders, as I say that I want you to be passionate about what you're doing and I want you to love what you're doing, but I don't want you to fall in love with it. Because if you fall, you know what I mean? Like there has to be an exit. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's, a level, it's kind of the company reaches a level of maturity where it's better in somebody else's hands than staying in your hands. Uh, Agreed. So that's, uh, <laughs> the judgment becomes clouded sometimes. I find that when I first started investing myself, I looked at different angles on the way the startup was and the people that came in it to make money and sell it versus the people that were solving a problem that they faced the people that were solving the problem that they faced had a harder time seeing the real problem uh, in a bigger picture and a scalable problem. It became a passion love project and it was hard for them to let go of something because it meant so much to them. Whereas the person that found the problem solving the problem, but was in it because they were seeing the end of the rainbow, if you will, uh, they tended to not be as connected to it but we're so passionate about knowing the field, knowing the understanding, the logic, understanding the sales cycles, understanding how to close people. They were really driven to get in there. So it, it kind of started to take me back from, you know, I'm solving this problem because 
uh, I live through this versus I'm solving this problem because I see this happening to everybody and it's uh, something that I want to tackle and fix. And there is a big difference between the two. The role of a CEO changes over time as a company matures. At the beginning, you're a jack of all trades, right? You're the accountant, the sales guy, the marketing guy, the, the coder, the software coder. You know, then you become more of a manager, then you become more of a leader, then you're actually overseeing the company, you're leading the company. So the role of the CEO changes over time. And, and um, you know, some people can make that transition and some people can't, right? Some people don't know how to let go. And, and, and uh, um, so that's important. Agreed. The company is going to make it, make it out the other end and become bigger than the vision that they had in the first place. Yeah, you got to figure out if you're, if you're good at starting something and you can find the right person to come in and be the growth and then somebody to come in to be the accelerator. And then if you come back and clean things up, there's always different ways that you can fit into a business. But a lot of CEOs start to look at themselves as just being that starter facility inside that business. So those are, those are great points. Uh, there are there are been a posted a couple of questions, but because of timing, I, I want to ask one last question, and um, it's kind of pull out your crystal ball time. And where do you see and look at the market where we can where we are right now, in the next twelve months? Where do you see it going? Any areas of real focus that you think are going to pop out? And then where do you see us in three years? Yeah, so things. It's a, it's a, so what do I see over the next three years and what do I see the market looking like for? In the short term and long term. Yeah. Where do you see going? Is there a vertical? I think uh, for founders and startups, I think you need to step back and reflect because this COVID has been a bit of a punch in the face and, and it's shaken things up. And I don't think uh, a return to normal is what we're going to see. I don't think things, things are always going to be a little bit different. And I'm hoping different in a better way. I'm not saying in a negative way. I'm thinking in a positive way. But I think COVID has exposed opportunities and needs um, that if an entrepreneur can, uh, 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 can discover and leverage, there's some great opportunity. Um, uh, um, you know, a lot, when you look back three years, JP, when you look back three years and you say, like, what did the world look like three years ago? And it looks, and, and, and what it, as compared to what does it look like today? It, today, it looks way different than it did three years ago. But I think this COVID has accelerated everything. And, and, and in terms of things that were already changing, I think maybe that things that would have maybe changed over three years are maybe changing now in three months. Uh, 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 adoption of technology, you know, that might have taken somebody three years to get, get their, uh, get comfortable with all of a sudden they had to do it in a week. Mm. Right. Uh, um, you know, my wife's company that wants always on the back burner, back burner projects have come to the front burner through COVID. Uh, and, and, all of a sudden in there, you find some gems, some surprises, some things that maybe, wow, you know, I was always saying one day I was gonna get to this, but now the time, this is the time to do it. And so I don't have the answers in terms of what, like I'm not gonna tell you, like, I don't know, I'm only gonna invest in biotech or I'm only gonna invest. 
I don't know. But I'm, I want to like, it's a new, new world order. And the new world order is it presenting new opportunities and new challenges, new problems. Uh, and I think uh, uh, for the people that get on that real quick and find a way to, to create value in a meaningful material way are the guys that are going to win guys that people that can free you up the people that, um so that's my answer no i like it you know what it, it it's going to be a it's going to be a quick change it's going to be a tough change but the difference is as you mentioned people are adapting so much faster now so if you've got something out there that solves a problem if it's in biotech if it's in future tech it, it's in whatever uh, domain that you think is going to fit. If people can adjust to be able to live through the COVID, they should be able to live through any sort of new change that's going to come in tech. And I think that that's really what is happening. People are adjusting quickly to the new norm. People are pivoting in their everyday jobs. Uh, entrepreneurs are pivoting. Uh, families are pivoting. Education's pivoting. Everybody's trying to find a way to fit. And if you don't yeah. find a way to fit, you're not going to survive. And I think that, uh, uh, that's what I'm kind of getting out of what you're saying is that you've got to fit to move on. So if you can't find it, you're going to struggle. So figure out where that is and, and move it, move it and you'll find yourself in a good spot in three years. Exactly. And it's been really uh, inspiring to see the companies that have been able to already pivot and adapt and kind of refocus and make a go of it. Right. And through COVID, like some, some companies have, are starting to are growing like wildfire. Some got really creative and did a quick pivot. Some people are just using the time to think and regroup. And some people are, you know, not, not as fortunate. For sure. And that just takes time and, and uh, some great experience for some great people to kind of help you. So I think from today, Bruce, I want to thank you very much for all of your insights. Uh, you had, I got lots of notes. So I'm a big fan of uh, everything you're doing. So thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, we're going to uh, cut this up into little bits and send it out. So we'll do that over the next uh, a few weeks and we'll, we'll keep you posted on that. Uh, but I think there was a lot of great things that uh, I'm happy to share with everybody. A lot of great insights. And I think as a, um, as a founder of a company that's trying to grow and figure out if they can look for funding, if they keep their focus, uh, they find the right market fit, and they look at scaling and they build the right team. Uh, I think they got to be reaching out to you because there's going to be a, they're going to be knocking off a few of the things that you're looking for and uh, being innovative, obviously is going to fit inside of that. So outside of it, inside of it, I appreciate all your time. Thank you very much. And we will uh, put a pause on it and maybe we'll come back and look at your crystal ball in uh, a couple of years when we do a follow-up interview. Good show, JP. Love what you're doing. All right. Thanks a lot. Have a great day.